0: asia tech podcast with graham brown and michael wait
1: hello
0: and welcome to asia tech podcast stories my name is graham brown today we're going to talk about two hot topics in one crowdfunding and retail to talk about these i'm joined by the co-founder of backers from hong kong Damien ng welcome to the show thank you graham Great to have you here. Now, you we had a bit of fun trying to describe what Backers was off-air. I mean, we came up with hybrid retail showroom for crowdfunding products, etc. It's such a dynamic space, so maybe the easiest way to start, Damien, is by describing what exactly Backers is. Because as far as we understand, it's a retail store, but it has a big difference. So tell us about what Backers is.
1: Sure. Um but the backers concept actually evolves. It's like since we've started about two years ago. Um so initially when we started we simply, you know, uh, my partners and I are thinking about a lot of crowdfunding projects. Um they have excellent concepts and then but then most of the concepts are actually just online. Um, and then back then, you know, a lot of people put the focus on crowdfunding and then where the uh, questions started coming up and saying, hey, um, are these projects real? Are they really work? And so, um, well, since, since we look into so many of these crowdfunding projects and then we started thinking, hey, can we really actually bring them into um, the physical place so that people can touch and see and just to verify these concepts actually can work? So then we started back as as a as a really simple retail kind of like a, a showroom type of uh retail that's how we started excellent um and yeah and and, and throughout these years well two years um it's you like when we are start uh, talking to uh, about uh one hundred uh, projects. Um, that's where we realize that a lot of um, off-site or offline um, activities that need to complement the online um, concepts. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, um, um, so 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 that's why the kind of like pro- providing a platform or space to prove themselves. Mm.
0: That physical offline space is what it's all about, isn't it? You have this store in the the mall in Tsim Sha in Hong Kong. So you've got this four 400- hundred square foot store how many products have you got in there at the moment
1: so um, usually on in the store we are displaying 30 products Um, those are really the hot ones or you know the 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 latest products that are on the crowdfunding platforms so yeah we, we want to um to to have the excitement for consumers and the people walking by to touch and feel the latest trend of the uh, of the product side
0: right, so there's thirty on display, but do you have a bigger inventory in in the back somewhere?
1: How does that work? Yep, so we, we do keep our warehouse, um, and then uh, our model is, you know, we, we have the warehouse. Uh, the projects can uh, optionally um, select whether they want to put the inventory with us or do they want to keep it themselves. Right. Um, just wanted to provide the flexibility for them. Um, some of the projects may not be – you know well, most of the projects actually are, are not uh, a very large um, enterprise that they have everything. So uh, our model really is to hope to work with these excellent designers or innovators uh, – Um, to sustain after crowdfunding so
0: if i was a a retail customer and i walked into your store what would be one of the product one of the products that would grab my attention i.e what's been one of your most successful products and bear in mind i think people need to understand these are not your products these are other people's products and you're putting them in your store but in your store what has been really successful so we can understand what kind of things you sell in there
1: Exactly. Exactly. So um, the, the the products in our stores are really non typical products. Um, there are uh, luggage that you know is foldable, so that you know, usually a luggage occupies like two square feet at, at at your home if you store it. But then the luggage that is foldable then can collapse into four inches in thickness, so that you can put it under the couch or mm-hmm. um, under your bed. Um the other thing is like anti-theft backpack. So yeah, when, when, when you are traveling into uh, a non secure country, the less secure countries, then you're worry of, always worry about you know things that are being stolen and then these backpack can actually seal and, and protect you from being uh the stolen things. Um the other things are on the 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 latest IoT products that um that there are like a, a gamified water bottle there to build up the drinking habit for kids so all all these um innovative um products but then that needs education that needs the stories mm. to be to be told to the consumers to understand what they actually are solving the problems um well what's really well in the store
0: so when somebody walks into a backer store do they know what they're going to buy already what kind of people are coming because i imagine that there's going to be a bunch of people walking to the store just because it's fun, right? They're going to look, discover something new. They're going to find a product which they're going to, go wow, okay, that's interesting. That's an interesting experience. So there's, there's a bunch of people coming for the experience, isn't it? And then there may be people coming, right. I want to go and get that backpack that I, I saw on Indiegogo or, What's that like? Do you you have a specific group of people coming into your store? How does it work?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, we need to talk about the journey of um, the the retail discovery. Um, As I said, because of the crowdfunding, the the nature of the crowdfunding products, you know, uh, these products usually first um getting in touch to with the with their consumers of the with the backers with the people online so people started to understand a bit of this concept of the products and then they wanted to verify it so they were looking for a place that they can try and touch it so that's they 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 found backers and then they come to backers um with a destination. So um they come and usually when they come in, hey, I want to look for that product, mm. and then they start to discover. Um, usually we do the analytics, you know, um when 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 they started with one product and then they walk around started to to discover the other products. Because when we when we slice the consumer segments, right, um there there are the early adopters, so which you know they they are willing to um, look into products online and then they want to explore further so these these are really our uh, type of our segments of, of the consumers that are really eager to chase the trend of, of test their latest gadgets um, and and then they, they, they get to buy it so the the experience part really plays an important role because that's kind of verified and testified the concepts that they see online and then they can try it offline and then that's in, increased the conversion rate of uh, buying
0: so most people that come into your store have actually seen a product already on one of the crowdfunding platforms like Kickstarter or Indiegogo and so on. And then they, as as I imagine on that page, on the pitch page on Kickstarter or Indiegogo, they see an ad or some kind of heads up about backers saying, hey, look, you can go and try this out in backers in Hong Kong, in this place. Somebody sees that, they then go to backers and say, hey, I want to,
1: try out this backpack do you have it is that how it works cool, uh, pretty much yeah so the, the projects that we work with um if they are like at the stage of crowdfunding a lot of them they actually put us as you know um uh, we, we we are at backers and then so people can come and try and we actually have the case that um when these projects are crowdfunding uh, stage mm. and then people in the store they actually back at the store right away oh. so yeah, that, that that really proved that, you know, people are really eager to try out new products and once they buy into the concept and verify it, that's it, you steal the deal there.
0: Right, right. What's the kind of likelihood of that happening compared to online? I imagine if you could have data, I don't know if you have, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here, but if you had data on that <laughs> to say, hey, you know, if somebody sees your product in store and touches it compared to seeing it on indiegogo what the conversion rate difference is on that i know there is a difference but do you have any numbers on that
1: i unfortunately don't have a very precise number but let's say one of the events that we um held about a month ago um so we have a project that's lived in uh kickstarter and then they they actually draw a lot of people into the store to try it and then on the spot we have roughly about 10 people back it right away there you go it's amazing isn't it
0: even though we increasingly live digital lives the power of the offline analog space is really under underestimated isn't it and we've seen this haven't we if you look at the success of apple in recent years i mean everybody talks about apple in terms of software in terms of design but i think one thing that people forget is that 62 percent of apple's employees. So 62% of the workforce in the US worked in Apple retail stores. So if you think about it, Apple was a retail company. And one of the reasons Apple was so successful is that people walked into that store and they had that experience. And there was a guy or a girl, you know, part of the Apple genius crew who would educate that person about that product. And that person could be, you know, a grandmother buying an iPad. And if you know, if anybody has a grandmother out there, they probably have an iPad, right? Because that's happened. That experience has happened where they've walked in and they said, hey, come in, you know, come into the store, try our iPads out with other people in your age group and so on. And we'll have a session we'll educate people. And that's the offline analog experience, which you can't get online. And I think that sort of interaction between online and offline is often lost, isn't it? A lot of people sort of, only focus on the online space so i'm curious to know how you sort of fit into all of that and how you see yourself solving that problem for these entrepreneurs who are effectively building their businesses online
1: exactly that's spot on so we we see more and more people to start their business online Uh, obviously with various reasons um it's it's easier to start online and easier to penetrate your ideas to a wider group of people um and we, I always see like e-commerce is one side or half half of the circle, mm-hmm. and the offline completes the other half. Because as you said, like uh, why Apple is so successful, it, it is that you know the the online and offline journey. So they, when they started to understand a good concept, a good product, then they are, uh, people generally be like being served. So and they like to discover, like to learn new things, and complemented with the offline service that you know we we our, all our staff actually well trained into all of the products so when customers come into the store they want to understand the functionality of the product and more often is that they buy into the concept and the story why the product is being created and then uh, also then you know they, they get um, educated for how the product can be used, how what's the warranty, how do you maintain it, you know they, they get a very good experience and like it and then you know they walk away with uh, happiness, getting a great product, getting all the information that they need, and then they, yeah, they, they will very often come back with you know oh, I want to discover the new things. What's the what's the next uh, range of products that we have? So that that really helps the consumers to you know getting more confidence, getting more trust on on the whole um, consumer or like a buying journey mm-hmm. um, where you know uh, a lot of e-commerce is that that, that um, it, it's starting nowadays. But then um, we 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 believe that us and it will be a good um, complementary factor for well not necessarily just products but like generally the whole e-commerce system
0: yeah i guess the challenge in that damien is that you mentioned it it's like you have to your people in your store in the back of the store have to get have to tell well they are the experience for the cons- the customer walking into that store when, you know, that person picks up a travel backpack or when that person picks up solar paper or when that person picks up some anti-theft device, you know, your people in your store have to be passionate about that product and they have to know like the story behind that product. I mean, that's easy when you're at Apple because Apple can just train everybody about their products, right? But now, yep. You have all these different products who are made by different people for different reasons, different stories,
1: and now you have to know all of that. How do do you get your head around that? Yeah, that's, that's the tough uh, thing to do, man. <laughs> um, uh, our, our staff is really passionate about, you know, the latest sketches and the latest products and the story behind it. Um, for example, one of our staff actually was um, a, an ex-consumer of, of us. Mm-hmm. And then he is so engaged. He walked into our store and spent like two hours in the store. And then we started talking. And then um, – so he, he – he, he, because – A lot of these people actually pay so much attention into crowdfunding products so they 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 read about and they 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 learn about the stories of all these creators so they get to be passionate and then knowing all these um the products and then um that, that's why, like, um, when we, after we talked about for about two hours, he is asking, say, hey, are you hiring? Then we said, like, hey, let, let's, let's come to work to, with, with us together. Mm. So we, we really like the, uh, to work with people that are really passionate about all these products, know the, the business, know the products. And because when, when we can represent these products, then we need to know them. We need to know how it works. And that's why when we get the products on board with us, we don't just put them into the store, we actually get the samples and then we try it out ourselves. Um, We use it day to day so that we know the good and bad side of the product. So then we can tell the actual story and the usage experience to consumers.
0: Yeah, I love that as well. You talk about hiring your customers and how I think people sometimes a little bit scared, scared about doing that. But I first sort of read about that I read um, Derek Sivers, who was the founder of CD Baby, you know, one of the Mm -hmm. first first ever online e-commerce providers and he he said that you know he would get his people from the people who bought bought cds from him online you know this is back in 1997 1998 Mm. the very early adopters a bit like the guy who walked into your store right they're they're passionate about that stuff you don't need the to train that passion in them they're already set up to do this and this is what they will do You know, if they weren't working for you, they'd be doing this stuff in their free time with their friends, right? Telling them about this gadget or this widget or whatever, right? So I think that's a really important thing and and companies need to do more of that because that's how you put your fans at the front line and your store experience is really determined by those individuals, isn't it? When people walk in, they touch that person and their experience and their personality and so on. How important that is. So let's talk about that sort of in-store experience as well, because you're learning a lot about these products. And I wonder, Damien, if you actually get to know the product better than the people who make them, because you're actually, you know, you're interacting with customers in a way that maybe the manufacturer would never have that sort of it. Maybe they do focus groups or with their friends, but you're interacting with real people who walk into your stores or giving you feedback. And that kind of thing. Are you sort of learning things about products which are then valuable to the manufacturers or these guys on these platforms that they could never have access to that kind of information?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. When when we look into the current uh, manufacturing and retail model, right? So, um, you know, the product lifecycle usually is when the designer design a product, they they're trying to solve something, um, and then very easily they will probably if they have the resources, they may have some focus group studies and try to improve the products before they make um, the first lot of products. But sometimes, you know, if if, if some creators, um, you know, they they, they maybe in rushing out of time and maybe they don't have the resources to do the cross group uh, studies, then very easily they would just go to um, make their first lot of products. And then you're making a bet of whether these could be a a welcomed products or if it actually uh, solves some of the problems or while you may be creating other problems. So so, uh, that's why we actually allow prototypes to be installed for the reason that we want to create consumers' feedback directly um, and feed that into the product designer, so that um, it's actually help um, mitigating the risk of you know you after you've made your manufacture your first big lot of products, and if it's you know there there, there are flaws there are defects then you know you, you're kind of stuck with the inventory. So so that's why we um, a project project we work with actually you know um, we we have brought into the store. Uh, six months before they do the manufacturing. So um, they they realize that, you know, say the the zipper is actually too tight, so they need Mm -hmm. to make a four millimeters wider um, on on the zipper so that it's easier for the consumers or the users to to, to zip it. So these kind of things that we really want to collect the feedback and, you know, Making it easier, um, and you don't need to say, hey, I need to pull a, a group of people to do the uh, market study or close group analysis mm-hmm. of the product. Hey, hey, my, my, my consumers walking by the store a day-on-day basis, they can directly provide you with the consumer feedback. So this is something that we started, or actually we learned throughout the the, the journey um, since the store opened, then uh, a lot of the creators like these kind of feedbacks. Mm.
0: Yeah, so that example that you gave us, like with the zipper, just so we can focus on something like that without giving specifics, but just so people can understand what we're talking about. talk about something like a bag right, or backpack as an example. Correct. So this was Correct. something which was pre-crowdfunding. So the designer had made a prototype, is that right? And then given that to you and, and put that in your store in some concession area. And then- yeah, Exactly. Okay, so if you had something like that, and then people came into the store and maybe they try it out. Maybe they, you know, whilst they're trying it out, they're talking to your person in the store, you know, one of your, your team. And they're giving feedback. It's all very, very qualitative, isn't it? And they're they're getting a lot of information and data about this person. Compared to, I know you talk about designers or manufacturers not doing small focus groups, as an example, you know, what I like to see in terms of what you're doing is you're, you're, this is real. This is real data compared to a focus group, no matter what size, even if it's just one person. This is, you know, this is in the wild when it talk, you know, you're talking about real usage cases, right? And that's so Correct. valuable because when you put people in focus groups and they're, they're playing with this zipper bag or they're playing with the zipper on a backpack, you know, it's a very different scenario when somebody's standing in a store. And in the real world, using that thing and trying it out because, they they, first of all, they have lots of choice, don't they? They don't have to stick with this item. They can walk over here and do something. They can walk out the store. But in a focus group, you kind of have to just focus on this one thing. So you're getting really interesting feedback, qualitative stuff. How do you feed that back to a manufacturer? Because it's very difficult to say, you know, to, to stand there with a clipboard or a tablet and just kind of check off. Questions and answers, isn't it? You're absorbing like really empathic qualitative data about the customer.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah, b- before we actually have this uh, proper setup, um, we we actually didn't know this is a demand, and until at the point that you know um, the consumers started to talk to us, you know, uh, usually the the discussions is, is quite interesting because usually in the retail you don't talk to a staff for like fifteen thirty minutes on, on the product and how it's designed and mm-hmm. things like that. You just want to know, hey, well, um, um, what's the price? Can I get it right away? And then it's like a five minute process. So you know, when when throughout throughout the the days that we're operating, um, then we start to realize a lot of consumers like actually like to talk to us and and hey, I want to improve um, this product if it can be um, x uh, uh, this this um, make it longer or make it another color, then I really like it. So we started to realize that our consumers actually are a happy talker. So so we then started to collect all these feedbacks and then provide it to um, the, the creators. Um, initially, you know, just like taking a paper, taking notes. And then later on, we started to be more organized. So we, ha- we have the, the kiosk setup for each of the products so that uh, the products can list out a list of questions that they want to know from the market. And then that's more like people can just um, click on certain buttons and check the boxes and then to answer these questions so that they will be able to directly provide this feedback Mm. and then uh, the creators or designers can can reveal it from time to time um kind of like a report
0: got it so okay let's talk about the business model in a minute because i imagine there's there's many different ways that you can work with designers and manufacturers before we get there i'm curious to know about what you do in all this setup because obviously you're one of the founders do you spend your days in the store watching all this going on, or are you out with the manufacturers? Where do you spend your time
1: well I, I used to spend in uh, my time in the day uh, in, in, the, in the shop um, so that because I, I want to stay in touch with um, consumers uh, because that's valuable that um, we can represent the products while we Understands from the consumers and we actually represent the consumers and um, to talk to the, the creators. Um, and then from time to time, I, I spend more time to talking with the creators, actually, because I learned a lot from the consumers, knowing what they need. And then there are a lot of startups that they wanted to make a new products and then they come to ask for ideas. You know, hey, um, should, we, should, should we do this? Uh, should we improve that functionality? Um, and that kind of thing. So we, we work closely with uh, creators hopefully um, to to make them successful in, on the crowdfunding stage and then obviously that allows them to sustain uh, as the products afterwards. Um, because we, we believe, you know, if the creators and designers are so brilliant that they can create uh, the first products, you know, with excellent concept, then these products will evolve and themselves as a brand will evolve so that they'll have the second product and third products. Right. So that's how, how we uh, want to build the community and engage together.
0: That's really valuable, isn't it? I mean, if I was making it some kind of travel backpack, I know we keep using this as an example, but it's an obvious one, isn't it? And Yeah. Maybe I was at prototype stage. It's a long journey, isn't it? Especially because I'm building something which is physical. You know, it's the back and forth between me and the manufacturer or the guy who's going to design this thing for me, right? It's not like building an app where I can just, it's everything in front of me, click, 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 and it's changed. Every iteration Hmm. with a physical product is time, isn't it? So there's a long process, and that is time and money. But if I came to you with an idea, and I said, you know, I rocked up to your office or I rocked up to the back of the store and I've got this backpack and I said, Damien, this is what I want to make. You know, I think it's amazing. I've talked to people about this. This is the problem I think it's solving. Can I plug into your system at that early stage and we could work together on that? Or do I have to come back to you and say, okay, right, you know, I've got an established market. I've done all my research. I have, you know, like a thousand products ready. What, what's the best situation here for me?
1: Yeah, the best situation is like when you have an idea or someone has an idea, best to come to us and have a chat. Um, The reason is that we realized this and we have talked to a lot of partners um these partners are you know ip lawyers there could be like uh, manufacturers there could be like a trade financing partners and also there are like uh, logistic and fulfillment so because we realize that all these creators um they they do not have a big team helping uh, helping them to to do every steps that they need um after they have a, a product idea so um we, we actually can work with the creators. Hey. And saying that you know the first step you need to finalize the design in this way, and then you need to look for materials. You need to make a prototype to test the market. And if it's a really excellent idea, you actually need to work with an IP lawyer to to protect your design. And and then this goes to the manufacturing process. Um, yeah, and then uh, after you've made them, you need the fulfillment uh, surface to help you to distribute to all over the world. So all, all these partners that we are making as a as an ecosystem as we evolve. So we hopefully to able to kind of pro- provide a complete circle and complete surface um, it, w- when there is a, a, a new product launch.
0: Okay, so let's talk about the business model within that because the fascinating thing about what you're doing is, if you were to look at it. From the face value, it's a retail store, isn't it? That's what people see. But what you've created is this really interesting ecosystem where, in a way, it's almost as if I was to go into the the physical uh, product space and say, okay, I want to build a, an accelerator, you know, or some kind of incubator where I want to take ideas and I want to help these companies grow uh, you know with our network of partners and lawyers and expertise and you have the funding platform there ready with crowdfunding now it's just a case of you know checking these boxes to make sure it goes well in terms of your project and once you're out yep. the door you, you have the distribution it's almost like an accelerator i'm just curious to know what kind of business models are actually going on in your business beyond the obvious which is selling a product in the retail space
1: Right. Yeah. Believe it or not, we actually have not thought about the business model behind that. Um, just because that we we really have the mind that we want to help these people to be successful, um, and um, in, and and since we have a lot of you know partners that um, that we work with and talk to us, uh, and we believe that they with their existence and with their help to these projects, they will actually complete the sort of, uh, the, the, the cycle in the journey. So that's why that's why we're kind of doing that uh, as an advisory um, or free consultant to be honest um that um yeah we we just want to have a good will and helping these people to be successful so yeah that's my open and honest answers to that
0: well i appreciate that (laughs) because i think you know what you're saying as far as i understand i mean somebody can go into this space space and people do go into this space and say okay i want to build an accelerator and and this is why i want to build an accelerator but you've gone into the space and say okay we want to help these designers and manufacturers sell their products right and it just so happens you're adding on these value-added services to that that retail channel that you have to help them even more right rather than say let's build an accelerator which is sort of the the top-down way of doing it. you're building it from the bottom up aren't you saying let's build a store and by the way we also need this service and this service and this service to help them make a better experience for everybody and the customer and the manufacturer and so on
1: Yep, that's pretty much how how we evolved and uh, we realized that that's the thing that we need to do. Exactly. So, okay, let's talk about how you can actually
0: work with a designer. So we talked about, for example, putting it in store, you know, having the kiosk, getting the feedback and so on. And then you have the people who have successful crowdfunded campaigns. How are you actually making money out of this? Is it just selling the product? Is that how it works, or would you? Could you also charge people for creating a concession in your store, or if it was a pre-crowdfunding product, and so on? What are the options for you?
1: Sure. Um, so we we have a few uh, different models or options so um the the simplest ones obviously you know you you just you just uh, make the sales and then that's how we um benefit from from ourselves um and actually we we wanted to move away from making sales just because that we want to differentiate ourselves as a normal retail Um, we wanted to convert ourselves to be like a, a retail as a service model so, so um, all, all the you know, um, data collection, all the, mm. uh, the market feedback that we are moving into a, a more uh, paid service or subscription service um, to, to collect the market feedback and to improve. So, so we wanted to uh, work more on the data analytics side. Mm. So basically what you're saying is
0: you can make money out of selling the product, but the real value – is in what you can learn in that process and that is really valuable for a designer or manufacturer and you're collecting data so what kind of things i mean you talked about the, the questions that you put on the kiosk as one example what kind of data do you collect about your
1: customers sure let's say um if um a customer walk into our store mm-hmm. and then if um he or she see a backpack and then from the designer point of view, they may want to know, are your customers more like a female or, or male? So that's kind of implying what colors they may want to have, uh, what the size of the, the backpack, mm-hmm. um, and then what's the functionality of the backpack. Um, say, let's say, is it a, a protection important? Is it more pockets important? So these kind of things that, you know, we, we, it's, it varies product by product. But uh, I think like a generally uh, sex, age, demographics, these kind of things would be the initial screening uh, questions that we ask.
0: Right. So you're building a profile of the kind of people who may be interested in this product, right? And then feeding back to the designer or the manufacturer, right? Okay. Did you start out knowing that that was going to be your main thing? Because you guys are two years old now, more or less. When you started out, what was the idea and what kind of have you learned and evolved in your your businesses over those two years?
1: Right. No, when we started, I we really were thinking like, um, you know, we want to bring the crowdfunding products to the market and, you know, physically being reachable. So um, th- these all really are the learnings throughout the two years after talking to many, many projects and many, many consumers, how we bring these two parties together and making the whole trade cycle more efficient. So yes, yeah, still a lot of learnings to um, to be to be coming ahead. Mm-hmm.
0: I think it was you know what you're doing as well. You're building up a sort of a, an expertise, aren't you, which few people have. And I wonder if that. I know you're sort of giving that as part of your value add to the service. In future, that could be exceptionally valuable, isn't it? I mean, if, if I wanted to run a big campaign on a crowdfunding platform, there's a lot of money going in, and obviously now with crowdfunding, it's it's professionalized, isn't it? It's no more sort of you know. Where we were a few years ago, where anybody just get on there, you have to have proper campaigns, you have to invest in all the assets of the campaign, and so on. So, there's a lot of money going in. If I wanted to do that properly, I could come to you, test this out, gather data, you know, lower the risk in making this product, feed that back into the manufacturing process, and that's extremely valuable to me. And then I could work with this team of you know these these partners and the people in the store of, of backers and really learn about the product is get that qualitative stuff you know if i could talk to you and said hey uh, now give me some examples of people that walked into the store what did you learn i could really learn stuff that i couldn't get anywhere else you're building up a really interesting value add and i wonder if you see that as a sort of a a future business opportunity for you because i really feel that you are sitting on top of some data, not just the the quantitative data, but qualitative data, which nobody else has about these products.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So si- since we we figure out this needs from the market, then we re- we are really focused developing all these capabilities that we have, um, and then we do see ourselves, you know, in in future five ten years, this will be pretty disruptive to the current uh, return distribution model. So mm-hmm. yeah, th- th- these will be something that will will um, be continuous developing to enhance uh, all dimensional uh, data that we can provide to our our, con- our creators.
0: Right. When you say disruptive, how would would this sort of go beyond the kind of stuff that normally gets put on, you know, crowdfunding platforms and start, you know, that model starts spreading out into, I can say, quote unquote, normal products, which don't usually get crowdfunded.
1: Yeah, I'm seeing the, the way that, you know, normal, uh, when you go to a shop, then your expectation really is to buy something. But we really want to turn that away into say, hey, a shop is not only for you to buy something or spend your money. Uh, the shop can really to have um, you to have the experience. You can try out new things. You can actually interact with creators and provide feedbacks and, you know, build the, the, the relationship with creators so that um, your value, your opinions can actually be contributed back to a um, development of a product Mm -hmm. which now a product development is pretty pretty much like a a one-way one-way road we want to we want the product development in the future as a as a collaborative um, uh, exercise between consumers and creators
0: yeah i'm thinking about this because i spent all my many of my years working in telecoms damien and Mm. i know that the the biggest challenge facing not just the guys on the handset side but the guys on the, the services side is that it was product development and marketing and putting those things together and it was a challenge because a lot of these manufacturers whether they're producing a handset or some some kind of physical good or a service is they didn't have any you know relevant data about what people wanted they really didn't know what customers wanted and what you're doing is kind of like... It's the first time I've seen somebody... I've seen something like this in Japan for cosmetics. There was a, mm-hmm. a, a program called Cosme, at Cosme, which is basically... It was it was like your backer's store, but for cosmetics only. Mm-hmm. And it had a very, very distinct group of customers because you can imagine there was a... They knew the age and they knew the gender and they knew the type of person who was going to be interested in trying out new cosmetics. And people would walk into the store... And they would test out all these cosmetics, you know, whether it was foundation or mascara or so on. And, you know, the store staff would then feed that information back to the manufacturers. That was really powerful. And this whole thing was, you know, like community driven. That was really interesting. But that's the only place I've ever seen something like that. And now you're doing something similar. I just think there's something much bigger coming out of this in the future. So curious to know what your growth strategy is and, you know, where that's going.
1: Sure. So um, obviously having one store in Hong Kong, um, you you can't cover too many people uh, compared to the rest of the world. So um, we we want to have um, at least some presence at each of the major cities uh, started from Asia. So then um, because by then we'll cover different demographics, different people, you know, the the data that we capture will be more valuable, more accurate. Um, So um, maybe in, in the future then we can say, hey, people from Australia actually have a different preference than people from Japan. So the, the, these, would so when the creators or manufacturers make their products and they're, they're, that's probably the, the, the colored preference, um, you know, they target for different markets can be more accurate. So that's less wastage um, when, they, when they create the products. And so that's more accurate and more targeted. Mm. So that's how the efficiency that we are trying to, to gain in, in the whole product development cycle. So are you seeking funding at the moment? Is that something
0: on your agenda? Or are you still just focusing on your store in Hong Kong?
1: So, yeah, we we have started out with our self-finance. Mm. Um, and then um, we, through, throughout the time, we, we have been discussing with a lot of uh, investors um, that um, we're, we're interested into our concept. So we are continuously um you know, taking investment, put it this way. Um, but we are we are actually more looking into partners that believe in our idea and then can can work with us um, to grow this idea faster and bigger. Mm.
0: What, what kind of people? I mean, they could be listening to this now. What kind of partners would you be looking for? <laughs>
1: Yeah. So, so people, let's say, with um, on the ground operation experience, you know, and they, they may be operating um, some sort of distributions or retails um, in their own region. Um, but then if they're interested in the idea, then um, obviously it could help us um, move faster into their region. So that's the people that we will be interested to uh, to work with. And obviously, you know, as our partners, you know, there are IP lawyers, there are manufacturers that as we are building the ecosystem. So a- any sort of, you know, who to touch basically the um, the product development life cycle or the retail cycle, then we'll be interested to talk to. Okay.
0: So if I'm a potential partner in, let's say, Jakarta or Tokyo, would you talk to me? Would it be worth talking or is it too early to talk about your presence there?
1: No, it is it's nothing too early. So it, it is an uh, iterative and evolving process. So um, we, we learn from each other, really. So that's why anybody that who's interested and believe in this idea and help can help us grow. Then definitely uh, we'll we'll be talking.
0: Yeah, definitely get in touch. Uh, so is this your first entrepreneurial endeavor, Damien? <sighs>
1: first real one that is uh, funded by myself, put it this yeah. way. Um, I, I have been working in the technology and data sector uh, in the past 15 years um, and mostly uh, startup companies and, you know, with companies that uh, are overseas that come into Asia and start growing Asia. So I, I'm not new to starting something new. Um, but this is really something new that uh, I've been starting uh myself. Mm. Uh, I've previously been trying to start uh, an app business, as you describe. you know a lot of people can start with an app business. Um, but then I was in the part-time capacity and I realized that you know after three years we we moved too slow. Um, and then ov- also obviously seeing a lot of the concepts in my mind being implemented by others that moving faster than myself. then this is one of the decisions that I wanted to be dedicated and focused um, to do this uh,
0: venture. Mm. Yeah. So you're familiar with the startup environment, but this is the first startup where you've actually started yourself, right, with your own money and your own time and your own risk. And that's a big difference, isn't it? When it's actually your baby now that you're you're building. I'm curious to know how that's turned out for you in terms of expectations. You know, what you know now about starting a business because you've worked in startup environments. So it's not new to you. But as I said, now this is kind of like the first time you've done it on your, well, the group of partners, you've done it yourselves. What would be, you know, the difference in terms of what you know about that process than two years ago before you started out.
1: Yeah, it, it is amazing. As, as I said, like when we started out, we really were just thinking, you know, a retail shop bringing all these crowdfunding projects from the online space to the offline space and that's it. And then uh, we're not shy from learning. So, you know, um, we've learned and think a lot of all these and talk to the the stakeholders, like the creators and consumers and come up to the stage that we're, we're, we're trying to uh, feel their needs. Um, so yeah we, i think we'll continue to invest into learning don't, don't shy from making mistakes that that's a valuable learning uh, as a company to grow and to acquire all these assets as, as the knowledge um, to allow us to position ourselves mm.
0: so i mean let's put that into context if i was a younger damien starting out or just anybody who was thinking of doing what you're doing let's say i'm You know, I'm working in software and I'm curious about setting up my own thing, whether it be a crowdfunded campaign or setting up a retail store or just something I'm passionate about that I want to turn into a business. And I've come from the kind of background that you've come from. Would you give me any advice that can kind of accelerate me up that learning curve or avoid some of the big mistakes? I know I've got to I've got to make the mistakes. So that's that's the learning process, as you said, right? But maybe there's things yep. that you can help me out with and speed me up with. If you sat down with a younger Damien in that context, what was, if you could say one thing to them in terms of helping them in that process before they get started? What would you say?
1: Uh, well, don't think too much; just act. Yeah. <laughs> so, because the I I think in in the past that I've been thinking too much in trying to be um, you know to be to be safe. So you kind of in this comfort zone, you have the safety net and making sure that your next step works. But actually, in reality, you know um, things may turn out that way, or it may not turn out that way. And exactly is the thing that it may not turn out exactly as you project. Yeah. Then that's the learning curve, learning you get, and then that would. Help you to actually make the bigger step um, going forward.
0: That's Damien Ng, everybody, co-founder of Backers, and I'm sure there are people who may be potential partners that can reach out to you. We'll give them some details in a minute of how people can get in touch with you and find out a bit more about you. But if you're in Hong Kong, whether you live in Hong Kong or you're just visiting, go and check out the Backers store because that would be a great experience for you. And also an opportunity to talk to some of the team, where can people find you in Hong Kong, Damien?
1: Sure, we are at the K-11 Mall in Tsimsa-chou. So that's actually connected to the uh, subway. So if anybody wants to come to talk to us, please feel free to um, come visit. And I'm I'm sure you'll have a great experience and journey here. Mm -hmm.
0: If if I was a a designer, would it be worth my time going there, talking to your people as well? Or, you know, would it be easy just for me to get in touch by email? Because I'm just wondering about the kind of people you've got in the store. Are those the kind of people that can actually help me out?
1: Absolutely. So our whole team actually is based in the store. So um, we, we have the projects managers in, in the store. We have the retail people in the store. So if you want to learn from them, you know, what's, what's the consumer's expectation mm. and what's that, what they need, then feel free to drop by in the store uh, or otherwise, or you can also contact us on uh, project at backerstores.com. Fantastic.
0: I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? I mean, if I was on the design side, where in the world could I go to talk to somebody just for an hour about my project and learn about what else works and so on? I mean, I can go online and search for this stuff, but I can never actually get a, you know, that opportunity to talk face-to-face with somebody and touch products and so on. So in terms of that value, you know, if I was in that space, go to Hong Kong and just go to that store, because for me, that, that time invested is invaluable, right? You know, just in terms of it, it going is- and doing that.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about you know what the values and the future of retail that BackerStores Stores will, will be operating. Fantastic. Well,
0: share with us a link. I know you've given us the email address. Where can people find out more about you and
1: your projects and so on? Sure. Uh, please visit our online at www.bakkerstores.com dot, 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 um, Bakkerstores.com. Damien, thank you so
0: much for coming on the show and sharing your journey with us. It was really educational you know informative for us learning about that whole crowdfunded and retail process the online offline offline online element as well and also your journey as an entrepreneur and what you've learned in that from starting out to growing back as stores and we've really enjoyed that and hopefully people have connected with that and feel inspired whether you are a manufacturer designer you get yourself to backer stores and go and check it out, interact with the staff, learn a bit about the products, you know, meet some of these people, that is a, an invaluable experience. Or you know, you're just an entrepreneur who wants to learn about this whole process, then you know, obviously this is a story from which you can learn. And you can also reach out to Damien through the links provided. Damien, thanks so much for coming and joining
1: us on the show today. It's my pleasure, Graham. Thanks very much for your time. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com.